Hello and welcome along to another episode of the Total Fertility Podcast, where we explore the minds of experts from all different walks of life. Our aim is to make your fertility journey just that little bit easier. I'm Ed Coates, a consultant gynaecologist, fertility specialist and co-founder of the website totalfertility.co.uk, where we connect you to all kinds of resources that will inform you and empower you and encourage you on your way to finding your fertility. Now, I'm delighted this week to be joined by Claire Lomas. She's one of the most inspiring women that I know. Claire had a freak horse horse riding accident in 2007 and was very tragically left paralysed from the chest down. She was determined not to give up and she made worldwide headlines in 2012 when she completed the London Marathon in a robotic exoskeleton suit and some of you may have seen that but you might also remember that she lit the Paralympic cauldron at the London 2012 Games. Here's a taster of what's to come. I could either sit there and think about what I'd not got, uh, what I had lost um, and the list felt very, very long um, or had the choice of thinking of what I had got, being grateful um, and what I could do, what what was possible for me. Um, there's obviously, you know, a lot of things that came to a grinding halt. But this is now an opportunity to explore new things. Um, and that's that's the route I took, thankfully. Um, and I have. I've done things that I'd never have done if it wasn't for, for you know, what was probably the worst time in my life. Um, it's led me to some of the best times in my life. After losing an ovary and becoming paralysed, Claire's route to starting a family wasn't exactly straightforward. I really want to explore in this episode how Claire kept herself going through some really horrible and dark times and literally turned her life around. I think we all realise fertility is not just simply about the physical. There's the impact that fertility has on our emotions. The fertility roller coaster, which so many of you will be familiar with, impacts on your life, your work, your friendships, your relationships. And it is just um, a lonely and isolating place at times. So I'm really interested to chat to Claire. I'm intrigued by her ability to dig deep and keep going that she's shown so many times over the years since her tragic accident. Um, she is an inspiration. She has a great sense of humour. And I'm delighted that she's agreed to join us on the podcast. So Claire Lomas, welcome. How are you? Yeah, no, really good, thank you. Yeah, nice to get back um, doing a bit more now the restrictions of ease. So, yeah, loving that. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and giving up your precious time. This is all about trying to help people who are going through what is one of the hardest things, I think, uh, which is fertility struggles and difficulties. And infertility is something which is never spoken about enough. Um, Your story is quite unusual, Claire. I've been inspired from the very first moment I met you, and I'm just... uh, in all really of everything you've done faced with the challenges in front of you and as well as that you had your fertility concerns and you had a very difficult time um, following what was a tragic accident Uh, but you went on and achieved such an incredible amount of things in your lifetime Um, you have gone on to have children um, but your story is quite unique quite unusual but it's really your mindset that intrigues me Um, and so can I start by asking you about that moment when you realised that you weren't going to be able to walk again, how did you even begin to put that together? Can you share that moment with us? Yeah. So just to give you a bit of background to what my life was like before uh, my accident, I was a chiropractor, I'd been to university and set up a clinic that I treated my patients. So I'm just part-time at home. 
But my passion were the horses and right from the age of two or three, I was on ponies and eventually got into the sport of eventing. And it was just a few months before my accident, I was competing at the Burley Horse Trials, which is the highest level in the sport. And it was actually my childhood dream because I went to school in Stamford um, and the horse trials were the back of where I went to school. So I used to dash over there whenever I could to see the top riders there. So to actually be riding there, it was really quite surreal for me. So all my goals and dreams were set high for the future. I went off to an event in 2007, May 2007, and a split second, the tiniest of errors, um, really put a stop to so many dreams and goals that I'd ha had. And I never sat still for a second before my accident. I was always so active and, and busy doing stuff. So to kind of be told that I'd got the rest of my life in a wheelchair um, wasn't easy. But actually, it's, it's far more than that because... Everyone can see that I can't walk. Um, it's, you know, it's quite obvious, but I, it affects so many different areas. Blood pressure is affected, temperature regulation. Um, so there's a lot to come to terms with. And then the mental side is probably um, tougher still. And you know, I felt quite embarrassed early on after my accident, being seen out. You know, feeling suddenly disabled. It's you just you just never think it's going to happen to you. You know, I knew I was doing a risky sport, but. Yeah, it was hard to get through those those darkest times and and not feeling feeling defined by my disability. I'm always so in awe of your positivity, Claire. Faced with the challenges that you've had, you just bring such energy to a room and you have this ability to cope. And I, I'm always just inspired by how you approach things. And I think many people listening to this, they're not facing paralysis, but they are facing a really difficult road ahead with their infertility and the challenges of trying to conceive. And I suppose what interests me is your mindset. How do you begin to approach what seems like the impossible? Um, many people waking up with infertility every day are faced with that, that thing that they can never easily talk about with friends and relatives um, it could spoil relationships it can make life incredibly hard day after day and that I'm sure there are some parallels there in, in in the mental mindset that's required to approach challenge and I think that's what always has intrigued me about you and and yet that ability to, to just keep going so uh, it can I can I ask you a little bit about that and just um, you know how where where do you start yeah it was hard and it wasn't without you know, some, some really dark times. And I discharged myself from the hospital pretty quick because I wanted to do a bit more rehab than they were offering. And um, I just thought it was the best route for me to take. But going home was amazing. It was also extremely difficult because basic things that I could do not many weeks before were now challenging, just like having a shower. Um, I, I hated the look of the shower chair I'd got at the time. And I had to heave my body into it. So physically, it was tough for me. But mentally, it would destroy me. My legs had wasted. They didn't look like those legs that had run around the cross-country course at the event that morning and, and ridden my horse. Um, and my stomach was soft and floppy, not toned like it was that morning of the event. And then the water would run down my body. And I didn't know if it was hot or cold. I felt two-thirds dead. And I just thought, how will I ever be happy and be paralysed? Um, I didn't think it would be possible. So really how I kind of got the mindset and, and was able to move on was by taking little opportunities and they weren't big things that the, the more exciting things came later on but things like just going out for lunch with friends it's very easy to say no when you're feeling sorry for yourself angry sad all the emotions that I went through you know why has this happened to me it's, it's not fair um, but most of the time I'd make myself go out and I always felt better for it 
Um, and then I got a job in a skiing office. And again, you'd think you'd be really thrilled to be offered a job, but I felt a little bit angry because I could have done it when I was 16. So I felt like my life had really moved backwards. This isn't what I planned and, and stuff, but I, I made myself do these things. And actually it's a bit like a jigsaw to get the full picture, the bigger picture, you have to put all the little bits in. And these were the first few bits. And without the first few bits, you're not going to get the whole, the whole lot put together. So you've got to take that first step and, and yeah, try and rebuild things really. And, and it was a big part of the process, just, just these menial things, which actually weren't menial at all because they were the, the stepping stones. I know you've written about your experiences, Claire, and the challenges that you've faced over the years. And your first book, Finding My Feet, really addresses the very early stages of getting your life back and um, how you approach that. Uh, you speak to audiences regularly, I know, about your experiences and how to approach challenge. I think what really obviously intrigues me about you is that mindset, as we've said already, and um, that approach of, of turning your life around and how you begin to piece things together and how you begin to move forwards positively. Because you could have gone into a descending spiral of this will never work, but actually you you didn't. You, you kind of built out from that and you took one step at a time, you cleared one hurdle at a time, and you built support around you. Uh, and that, I'm sure, has helped you to achieve the goals that you've achieved. So, yeah, I'd be intrigued to hear more about what strategies you used whilst you were trying to build the life that you now live. I could either sit there and think about what I'd not got, uh, what I had lost, um, and the list felt very, very long, um, or had the choice of thinking of what I had got, being grateful, um, and what I could do, what what was possible for me. Um, there's obviously you know, a lot of things that came to a grinding halt, but this is now an opportunity to explore new things. Um, and that's that's the route I took, thankfully. Um, and I have. I've done things that I'd never have done if it wasn't for, for you know, what was probably the worst time in my life. Um, it's led me to some of the best times of my life. And, you know, I might not even have my children if it wasn't for that, that awful accident I had. Yeah. And the other side of your story, of course, is your fertility concerns and worries um which were not always straightforward and you didn't always have an absolutely certain path to to starting your family i mean you found yourself tragically paralyzed out of the blue and i guess there must have been an awful lot of worry and concern going on in your head about as to whether you'd ever be able to have children but you over many years you have a quite an unusual story there as well as you're going to share with us i hope you did go on and have chloe and Maisie, who are wonderful i've met them both and uh, they're the center of your life but but, but going back before the accident, when you were very much younger, uh, something happened to you, which I'm sure would have been playing on your mind throughout all of this and then could even have been exacerbated, I guess, by the accident and what happened to you and, and could have meant that you, you might never have been able to have a family. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about that? So right from a young child at no, 9, 10, I had a lot of stomach pain um, and it got worse and worse and I went to the doctor quite a lot of times and they said it was a stomach migraine or I was nervous or... Um, all these different things, and then eventually um, it was that bad. I mean, it was it was it was quite often bad. It would be so painful that I'd be really sick, and I was just really poorly with it. Um, and one doctor sent me then to Leicester Royal Infirmary, and they thought I'd got appendicitis, so they took my appendix out. But there's nothing actually wrong. Um, so um, they then found, whilst um, they're operating on me, a massive cyst on my right ovary. So they ended up removing the cyst and my ovary because it was so bad. So I've only got one ovary. Um, and I think one of the doctors did say to mum that 
you know, she might not be able to have children, but I was only 13. Um, it didn't really mean much to me then, to be honest, as long as I could ride my ponies, I was quite happy. Um, so yeah, we, we didn't know. So there was that, you know, worry of whether I would, um, but we hoped I would. One of the doctors said it should be fine. So we didn't really know. Um, and then obviously with the paralysis as well, um, I, I didn't lie in hospital funny enough all the time thinking I'd lost my sport and that what I, what really bothered me is whether I'd have a family because it's way more important than a lot of things in your life. And, um, and it really did, it really did upset me that I thought there's a good chance that I wouldn't be able to, but not only that, I was in a relationship that I'd been in for four years and I knew that that wasn't going to work. And I thought no one would ever want me anyway. Now I you know couldn't move anything or feel anything from the chest down and, and felt pretty awful and I had no confidence and, and no self-esteem. So I had a lot of building up to do and I thought it was unlikely, but I, if I could make it happen, I was, I was pretty determined I would. So that's what I did. And, and I split up from my boyfriend after about, I think it was after 10 months after my injury, when I felt strong enough to do so, um, to start with, I had enough going on and enough changes to deal with. But then I thought, you know, I can't, I can't settle with for this just because I'm paralyzed. I wouldn't have put up with the way he was behaving before. So I thought I've got to, you know, move, move on. And I was doing a lot of stuff in the standing frame, just getting weight on my legs, which is pretty boring. So to pass the time, I got my laptop and one of my friends had been around and she'd accidentally clicked on an advert on Facebook. I think it's probably on Facebook or something, but it came up as one of the last pages um, that had been looked at this dating website so I thought I'll just do an experiment see if someone bothered with someone you know someone in a wheelchair and I put what had happened and everything and Dan sent me a message about three days I'd been on it I looked at his profile I thought he looks all right and then I went to read his message and you had to pay 20 quid and I thought nah I'm not wasting 20 quid um anyway all my friends persuaded me to and I bought my husband off the internet for 20 quid so that was that job done quite an important part to get amazing Chloe to be honest (laughs) <laughs> yeah and I, i've met dan he's a really incredible guy um when you two finally met though was it a really straightforward conversation was it a really easy process i mean you know was it something you both wanted did you both want to start a family i mean many people who've maybe gone through surgery have lost an ovary and have been through all of the horrific difficulties and challenges that you'd had to kind of overcome it's then a really big subject, isn't it, in your relationship to then talk about starting a family? And I mean, faced with all of those challenges, was it straightforward? I mean, I guess I met you a bit later on, didn't I, Claire? When you were a bit further on in your journey, you, you'd already had one of your children, um, and things weren't then easy actually in the pregnancy, which was which was really challenging. But you know, was it was it an easy discussion for you and Dan? Um... I mean, Dan and I discussed it really quite early and we, because we wanted to know that we both wanted the same same kind of plans for the future. Um, and luckily we did, so that was good. And Maisie actually came along pretty quick, <laughs> quicker than I thought. I thought, oh, average, it perhaps, you know, it takes a few months to get pregnant. No, she, she came along really quick and I was actually quite worried because I just started to rebuild my life. So I'd found skiing to do and I, you know, I'd got this job in, a, in an office and close to a lives. So I, I kind of just my life had started to to have a purpose to get up um, as well as all the rehab I was doing. And, and I was enjoying myself um, because it was a ski office. I got to go over um, to France quite a lot and eventually get the hang of skiing and a monoski. And Dan and I would have lots of you know days over there. So we're having fun. Then I thought, oh God, if I, I did want a child, but would it stop me? Would I struggle being pregnant? You know, 
it's hard lifting myself up to transfer in and out the car and you know in the shower anyway with that extra weight would I struggle and and would it make me feel a bit depressed not being able to do the things that distracted me from being paralyzed but it was absolutely fine and you know having Maisie changed my life um it was a moment where I stopped looking back and missing the eventing or anything it, it did make a huge difference to to my recovery and and then with Chloe it was very different because Maisie came along kind of quickly um I never got to the stage where I was desperate with Chloe I was just absolutely desperate to have her not because um we had trouble to conceive her, but because Dan was really ill with severe OCD and we had a really rough time and, and everyone can see like my physical disability and, and Dan's amazing with me out on the fundraising challenges we do and they see that, but, but behind closed doors, it's totally different. And I, yeah, he was just way too ill to even th think there was any chance of having a child. And that's why there's a six year age gap. I mean, I really did have many I probably cried as much over that because I was desperate to have another one and Maisie was and I didn't feel complete and and he just all he did was spend time in the bathroom for three hours at a time locked in there it was horrible and when when it was the right time in the month to, for have a baby I'd be like come on Dan get to bed earlier and he just would he just let me down time and time again but he was so ill and in the end we we got help and I got him to the doctor's but they didn't diagnose him with OCD. They did, diagnosed him with depression, putting him on antidepressants. But of course, that didn't work. And eventually, we went private and we got a really good psychiatrist. And then he saw a psychologist and, and yeah, he's done various things to get, to get better. But it was really tough because I was desperate for Chloe and I didn't think it was going to happen. And, and yeah, it was, I got to the point where a lot of people like, friends um I've got children that I knew through Maisie were having their second and and honestly the amount of people that said are you having a are you going to have a baby another one because they thought you would natural gap amount of times even strangers when when I was at events um doing speaking events and they'd come up to me and they'd be saying it all the time and honestly it was like agony on the inside and I just had to keep smiling and saying yeah I'd love another one but I couldn't really say that at that point we didn't talk about Dan's illness open well we, I didn't know for a long time but it's it didn't feel comfortable for me to talk about it but this about a year ago um Dan's we've decided to talk about it more and Dan's actually done some speaking events on the Q&A with me and it's brilliant um and yeah it's, we're much more open about it which is better because there's no reason why he shouldn't be and he's he's a lot better than he was it's not perfect and it's, it's tough at times and it can be quite lonely with him um, because with OCD the OCD is is way more important than anyone around you anything just that is whatever is bothering him he has to totally focus and it's like no one else is in the room and it can be pretty tough but but I tell you what if we hadn't gone to the psychiatrist and got help we wouldn't have Chloe not a chance. You touch on some really important points there and um I mean, a lot of people may not know that actually male factor fertility is a significant contributor to infertility difficulties. You know, around about 40% of the fertility problems we see in our day-to-day -day work is male factor. And it's not always physical. It, it, you know, it can be psychological too. And, and um, you know, that is often under-talked about. And, um, you know, we've, we've, been going, we've gone through such a difficult year and, and so much going on for people in so many different parts of their lives. I mean, it's, it's not a great surprise that mental health has clearly been affected by, by the, 
the, the pandemic that we've just been through. Um, and it, it's not always easy to to open up about these difficulties. And um, I think, you know, you've been incredibly open there about the difficulties you were going through, which I think will give certainly some of our listeners an enormous support um, because men do suffer too with fertility difficulties. It's, it's, um, it, 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 is, it takes two. Um, and, uh, you know, whether that's in heterosexual relationships or in same-sex couples um, or individuals, you know, there is still another side to, to creating a family which, which has to be considered. Um, but Dan's such a positive guy on the outside. But actually, we, none of us know what people are experiencing on the inside. Um, and I think that's, that's also important in relation to trying for a second child. You know, it must have been incredibly difficult knowing that you, you really, really desired that second child. But it was sort of grinding away at the inside of you. And, and I think a lot of people see people with one child and just think, well, they've had a child. That, that's all fine. But actually, it must be incredibly difficult. Um, and and um, I don't know how you, how you kind of coped with that. Yeah, it was really hard. And, you know, like Dan, is you could describe him two different ways on nearly everything because, you know, he is a positive person. He, he's there for me on everything I do and very encouraging. And like when I walk the London Marathon, the different events, there's no one I'd rather be behind me for all those days. You know, he, he's brilliant catching me on the motorbike and just, yeah, we're into the same things. We enjoy it. But like when you know OCD is basically it tends to be worse at home when you when you go somewhere else he's not he's not as bad which is what the psychiatrist said is is very hard to treat when you take someone out to a hospital and they're kept in they don't always have it straight away so it's like chores and repetition of things at home which takes up all his time and you know I can't believe how ill he was and how, how we got through it to be honest but of course the last thing he ever felt like doing was was being near me because he's is an anxiety disorder and he he was doing what he had to do to relieve the anxiety yeah i mean many people will think about infertility as being something that's very physical so you know maybe having an ovary that's missing or fallopian tubes that are blocked or sperm that may not be of the best quality but actually you know as you've just described so eloquently there there's actually a huge psychological element to having a family which is often quite hard to measure it's often under talked about and then you know it obviously has a huge impact on on people and I mean with your experience though Claire I mean what sort of advice have you got though for people who are you know facing what seems like the most uphill struggle they've ever had in their lives a sort of a challenge that seems insurmountable what how do you how do you even begin to sort of approach that how do you get through it and, and, and what sort of tips could you could you give people to kind of begin that journey in a positive way that's sustainable yeah I think sometimes you know it's the last key that opens the door and you know not to give up too quickly um I never I never gave up the hope of of having Chloe and and a lot of things in my life that I've persevered and you know, I try and find a solution for every problem that I come across, not a problem for every solution. Um, so whatever it is in my life, there's usually a way around it um, and you've got to stick with it. Um, and if it gets to the point where you really can't, then you, go, you can think of what you can do and think forward rather than dwelling on the past. Um, you know, if I still sat here thinking, oh, I can't walk and others can and and stuff. I wouldn't have a happy life. It doesn't bring you a happy life. So I've filled my life with all the things I can do. I stick at things, um, persevere through them to get to get to the to the end. Um, and yeah, I wouldn't change my life back now to before my accident. I I truly wouldn't. I've got way more than I had 
before and um you know but I, it could have been a very different story and, and a lot of that comes to your mindset and and how you approach things mentally that's such an incredibly brave thing to say that you wouldn't change your life back and uh faced with the opportunity to do that i think I'm sure many people would say the opposite and but I think that's just credit to you in terms of uh you know how you've approached the challenges that are in front of you um you know when we first met you were in a hospital bed in the Midlands facing many many days in hospital um you were pregnant with uh unborn Chloe at that point um and uh you were faced with this horrendous sort of length of time where you were not going to be able to leave the hospital um we don't get into the detail of that but um but you were so incredibly positive um you know many people would have been very downhearted about that that have that have been very negative but actually you were the complete opposite and um you were not the sort of person that was going to lie in bed uh and uh and not get out in fact i'm pretty sure the next day i saw you um you'd already had the exercise equipment delivered to your hospital bedroom um and uh, well i think before we'd even finished the ward round you were you were on your your hand bike um um exercising and so you're not somebody that's obviously got that mindset of of sitting around and you do just have that sort of that philosophy i think of just getting on with it so my room turned out to be um everything from a games room when the kids came to an exercise room one of my friends um does massage it was a spa it was whatever whatever we could turn it into um and yeah i mean I will admit, when they told me I'd got to stay in, I was 35 weeks pregnant, uh, I burst into tears. I said, you can't. The, you know, no, th- I was 32 weeks pregnant. I uh, had Chloe at 35 weeks. And I was like, but, you know, if I have her, say, 40 weeks, that's the same length I did for my spinal injury in hospital. I said, you can't keep me in this long. And they're like, no, we've got to. I was horrified. And actually, I had a really good time for two weeks. And <laughs> just ended up having a good laugh and... Um, waiting for little Chloe to arrive safely, which thanks to you, she did. So, And uh, I mean, you, you certainly use distraction as a way to take you away from the reality of having to be enclosed in a hospital room for many weeks on end um, as you kind of absorb those hours and weeks and days ahead of you um, until we were able to get Chloe out safely. But, you know, is distraction something you would use sort of regularly as a way to kind of help you kind of sort of cope mentally with, with these really difficult challenges that you do and take on? Well, I had it's a, it was a little bit like my accident, not to the same same kind of degree as what I had to face then, but it was like I was either going to sit there and think, oh, this is just all going wrong, I've got things to worry about, um, complications with Chloe, and I'm going to sit there and dwell on that, or I fill it with different people come in and, and actually having a laugh. <laughs> and that's what we did. So I text Dan, like when I got there, and I said, can you bring my, I have an electrical stimulation bike that I use um, about five times a week normally. And it makes my legs work. So my legs actually power the bike by electrical stimulation. Um, and like a computer sends the signal to make my muscles contract in the, se- in the right sequence for the action of pedaling. Um, and it's a cardio workout, keeps the muscles on my legs, my bone density better, all the things that you can so easily lose with a spinal injury. So I, yeah, I've used it for about 12 years now and do go on it that much because I, I just know like you're less likely to get pressure sores and circulation problems or all the different things you can get with a spinal injury. So, um, so yes, yeah, so I had that in my room and, and it was great um, to actually have, you know, I, again, having a reason to get up, you know, I just don't want to sit in there all, all the time not doing anything. So it gave me, I got up and I'd have a session on that and then 
meet up with a friend and stuff. It, it kept me quite busy for two weeks. I know the staff were incredibly inspired by you, Claire. And, you know, I mean, we, we saw you there cycling away. Um, many of us were struggling just to get into work. And, and there you were, 30, 33, 34 weeks pregnant, sort of with your handbike. Um, it was incredibly inspiring to watch. And, um, and of course, um, you know, you've gone on. I mean, Chloe's now four years old um, and, and, and you've gone on and... I mean, you're doing. You've done all sorts of things, haven't you? What are you? Uh, what are you? What are you doing now? Are you riding motorbikes? Yeah, yeah. So, even though like I've described some of the hard times to you, and um, you know, I think you should have a good picture of that. But I also felt incredibly lucky because even when I was in hospital, uh, and I felt like you know all those things had come to a grinding halt in my life, and it was devastating. I also felt genuinely lucky because I got used to my arms um I could have had spinal cord damage to my neck I fractured my neck but luckily didn't um and when I was in hospital I looked around and some of the patients would wouldn't get any movement in their upper limbs as well uh, for the rest of their life some even on a ventilator I decided that I needed to help uh, do what I could do to help uh, find a cure for paralysis so that's when my fundraising idea started and it was on a much smaller scale to start with. And then I, um, 2012, I did the London Marathon in a robotic suit and it took me 17 days to walk it. And I was out there long days and, and eventually reached the finish line and set myself a goal of £10,000, which I thought was quite ambitious and got £220,000 and um, a whole lot of interest by the finish, which was unexpected. And, and still, when I see the footage of it, um, I can't believe it. Uh, and yeah, and of course that drives you to do more. So I've done different things since then, hand cycling. I, I do a lot of that anyway, but riding motorbikes is one of those things. And I'd never ridden the motorbike before my accident. So all I know about motorbikes is the color of the bike. Um, and I get Velcroed on and <laughs> yeah, Velcro up my knee. If, if I fall, I will come up free of the bike because it'd be dangerous. Um, and I have a gear shifter so I can like, change gears with my left hand and toe clips so my feet can't slide off. And once I was out there, I got my race license in 2017. So just after Chloe's born that summer, got my race license and go out on track days. Should be out again, hopefully, um, that June this year. Just just got a different bike that I've got to get converted. So yeah, so I do that. And um, I've raised quite a lot of money through the motor motorbiking world. And at the moment, I'm learning to fly, which is um, down to you, really, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> giving that idea showing me the photos and, and stuff of you doing it and yeah your enthusiasm um <laughs> i'm not sure i want to be blamed specifically for your habit of flying um, <laughs> although we you know we, we did indeed go for a pub lunch and the conversation did get around to micro lights and getting into a micro light and uh, the conversation of flying came up and uh of course, that wasn't something you were going to leave on a piece of paper, were you, Claire? I mean, you you basically decided that that was something you were going to take on. Um, so, yeah, you've started flying, I believe, as well. Wow, what's going on with that? Yeah, so um, I've, do, I've been doing it for about 18 months now, but a year of it, as, as the restrictions have meant, I haven't been able to fly. However, um, on Sunday, uh, I actually got my first solo flight. It was amazing. I couldn't believe it when he said, right, I did two circuits, and he said, like, take me back I'm gonna get out now I was like are you joking <laughs> he said no I'm not joking so I was like up there on my own I did one circuit and survived it and yeah it was it was great I went actually this morning but it was he was hoping to get me up again solo but it was a little bit too windy but we practiced flying in more difficult conditions so so yeah I'm hoping I'll get my license license by like the end of the summer 
depends on the weather. Maybe he said I've not got too much more to do. Brilliant. Well, listen, it's, it's been wonderful speaking with you and hearing all of your stories. And I've always been so inspired by you, Claire, and that mindset that you seem to have about just getting on, giving it your best shot. And even if it doesn't happen, it'll go, it'll go right for you. And I mean, that that feeling of just being there, being present, being totally engaged with every single thing you do, I, I, I think it's wonderful. And, you know, from to hear it from someone who's had such difficulties in their life, um, but it's not given up and, 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 you know, you've not had the easiest hand or, or, or options available to you. Um, but it, it's just wonderful that face all those difficulties of perhaps not, not even being able to have children or, or get pregnant. You push through, you know, you've had two wonderful children. You know, not everyone listening to this will be able to achieve that. Um, but it's that mindset of coping that you've shared with us all. And I just think that, you know, that's wonderful. So thank you. Um, I think it's been very relevant. I think it's been very helpful. It's not specifically about always the physical fertility issues underlying and and sometimes it is the psychological and and so thank you for giving up your time to talk to us um and um, um you know I'm 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 really looking forward to going up in the air with you uh I think <laughs> <laughs> maybe I need a bit more practice <laughs> No one wants to come up with me yet. I ask everyone, they're like, no, thanks. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us and sharing all of your stories with us. Um, love to you, love to Dan and the kids. Um, I hope you can join us again in the future uh, and good luck with all of the future challenges. Thank you very much, Ed. Thank you. Well, I'm amazed and totally inspired by Claire and her positive outlook on life. Such an interesting insight there, I think, into the life of someone who's not had it easy, someone who wakes up every day knowing that they have this irreversible spinal injury. With alongside that, she had to cope with the fertility challenges and fears that she had about whether she'd ever have a family and some pretty tough times there emotionally as well for her and Dan with their relationship and the situation they found themselves in. I, I can't even begin to imagine how hard all of that must have been for the two of them. And um, thank you so much, I think, for sharing all of that with us. I think infertility has some parallels. Obviously, we've not been speaking specifically about fertility today, but fertility has uh, so many ups and downs. It can be a long and lonely road and certainly one that doesn't have easy answers. In so many cases, there's not always an easy roadmap out of there. And I think the reality as well, if we're going to be totally honest, is that some people may never get there. But we must continue to try. We must continue to progress using science and research advances, the more and more questions we can answer, the more and more people we can help. So we have to have the right mindset, I think, not only as healthcare professionals and also as patients of looking forwards all the time. Now, next uh, episode, we're going to be talking with a GP um, about fertility and when to get checked. Over the years, it's really been one of my most heartbreaking things, hearing stories of patients who either didn't get checked early enough or stories of regret. Um, or not knowing when to get checked. So I think it's really important to raise and tackle fertility awareness around this topic. I think today's episode was interesting about the mindset of challenge and how to approach it, but it's also important to understand the basics about your own fertility. If you do want to find out more about Claire Lomas, though, or read one of her books, um, please check out the show notes. In the meantime, stay as positive as you can. It's been a, a challenging year, and we're coming out of the pandemic now, and hopefully the next six months into the next 12 months will start to get back to normal. If you found for the first time someone struggling with their fertility um, or doesn't know where to turn, please show, tell them about our podcast. Subscribe, share it with people, review us if you get a chance. But thank you so much for listening um, and I hope you will join us next time. <laughs>